Get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. So Hong Yu with you on this Thursday, February the 15th, 2024. You're listening to a special holiday edition of the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi will attend the 60th Munich Security Conference, where he will elaborate on China's position on major international issues. China has seen a surge in commodity and services consumption during the spring festival holiday. Israel says it'll press ahead with an offensive against Hamas in Rafah. And the Super Bowl parade shootings have killed one person and injured over 20, including eight children. In the second half, we will look at how a Chinese worker has helped with the restoration of Takio Temple in Cambodia. Now, today's top stories. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi will attend the 60th Munich Security Conference, where he will deliver a speech. An official statement says Wang will elaborate on China's position on major international issues. He will also visit Spain and France and attend the China-France Strategic Dialogue. Wang's six-day trip to Europe begins on Friday. The 60th Munich Security Conference opens on Friday. Global leaders, government officials, experts and private entities will discuss pressing defense and security issues. Subjects like migration, the Ukraine crisis and climate change will top the agenda. Dong Xue brings us the expectations for Munich. Titled Lose Lose, this year's Munich Security Conference report claims that everyone is losing out in the current global situation. With the ongoing conflict in Ukraine, the growing threat of mass migration, and radical Islamic terrorism now top the list of threats for Germany. This shift in priorities is expected to influence the discussions at the MSC 2024. The annual conference, dubbed as the Davos for Defense, will bring together leaders in politics, defense, and technology from over 100 countries this year. To foster inclusiveness, this year's conference will continue to place special emphasis on countries from the global south, including Latin America and Southeast Asia. Key attendees include U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, and many others. This year, Wang Yi is expected to present Beijing's position on international security issues, promoting the value of China's global security initiative as the fundamental solution to security challenges. The core mission of the MSC remains unchanged to build peace through dialogue and strengthen the rule-based international order. Although there are plenty of leaders from Asia, Africa, and Latin America, the vast majority participants are from the United States and Europe. Some welcome the fact that the Western Alliance is using Munich to show a common purpose, while others worry that in the long term, it might be ended up losing its identity. So will the West adapt its strategies in dealing with the developing countries and foster new forms of international solidarity and cooperation? That will be on my watch this year. That was Dong Xue on what we can expect from this year's Munich Security Conference. China has seen a surge in commodity and services consumption during the spring festival holiday. 
Official data shows the sales of green organic food and gold jewelry grew by over 10% year-on-year. The turnover of rural homestays around Harbin, which has emerged as a top tourist destination, grew by over threefold. Meanwhile, the prices of grain, edible oil, meat, and eggs remained consistent with pre-holiday levels, while the price of vegetables fell by 1.2 percent. China's foreign trade remains robust during the holiday, as China Europe freight trains, ocean freighters, e-commerce platforms, and overseas warehouses have all experienced a busy period. The Yangshan port in Shanghai has seen its berth occupied by large container ships during the holiday season. Since January, the container throughput at the port's largest dock has hit a record high of more than 850,000 20-foot equivalent units. Chen Jianfeng manages a container terminal company responsible for operating the Yangshan port. He says they have been working at full capacity to manage the increased volume of containers. We are aiming to handle 30,000 TEUs today. All 39 of our bridge cranes are up and running and they now can load and unload a container every two minutes on average. Compared to this time last year, our handling capacity has increased by 15 to 20 percent. Meantime, the EU Xinjiang Europe China Railway Express has been playing a significant role in transporting a wide range of Chinese products, including new energy vehicles, mobile phones and computers. The train network starts from the eastern city of Iwu, the world's small commodity capital, to the Spanish capital of Madrid. It operates eight trains per day during the holiday and handles shipments to over 50 countries and more than 160 cities. Museums across China have been staging a wide array of exhibitions featuring Chinese culture for visitors to enjoy their spring festival holiday. The National Museum of Chinese Writing in Anyang, Henan Province, is displaying the inheritance and innovation of Chinese character culture, holding interactive activities that enable visitors to learn about the oracle bone inscriptions. Visitor Sun Chun says he now has a better understanding of the evolution of Chinese characters through the exhibition. I came all the way from Tianjin to participate in this evening's event at the National Museum of Chinese Writing for the first time. It's really awe-inspiring to learn about the evolution of the characters, from oracle bone inscriptions to paper writing. I like traditional culture, so I think this trip is worthwhile. According to the Chinese Zodiac, this year's Spring Festival ushered in the Year of the Loan, or the Chinese Dragon. Many Chinese museums have put on exhibitions with a long theme. The National Museum of China is holding an exhibition featuring over 200 pieces of long-themed cultural relics from different periods. One of the most attractive exhibits is a C-shaped jade dragon of Hongshan culture from the Neolithic Age, which is important material evidence for studying the original images of Long in ancient times. In the Chinese culture, Long is regarded as an immensely revered and auspicious creature. A decades-long endeavor to improve the environment has turned a stinky lake in Xiamen into a showcase of urban charm. The ambitious project started in the late in the 1980s when the idea of environmental protection making way for economic development was still prevalent across China. Guo Yan visited the area to find out more. For 72-year-old Wang Yini, Yundang Lake is her favorite spot to practice Tai Chi every morning. 
The rippling waves on the lake look so beautiful, and look over there, flocks of egrets are looking for food. Xiamen's natural environment is fantastic and really good for the health of the locals, especially for the elderly. I'm really happy living here. Located at the heart of Xiamen, Yundang Lake is dubbed the green lung of the city. But just a few decades ago, the city was nowhere near this pretty. The air used to be filled with an overpowering stench. We didn't even dare to come near. The surface of the lake was murky. Like many other coastal cities in China, Xiamen started to reclaim land from the sea for manufacturing and farming in the 1970s to accommodate an increasing population and more business activities. The lagoon was created at that time to make room for industrial development. But a severe problem was soon evident. Many heavily polluting factories, such as paper mills, chemical plants and breweries, release their wastewater into the lake. Retired local official Zhang Yihe still remembers the sharp decline in water quality. At that time, 45% of industrial wastewater and half of local household sewage were discharged into the lake. The city stank from the pollution, and public complaints were mounting day by day. In the mid-1980s, fish and shrimps had become extinct in the lake. Wading birds disappeared. Residents called on the government for a solution to fix the environmental problem. Pollution not only drove away the birds and city dwellers, but also investment at a time when Xiamen had become a special economic zone. The image of the city was damaged, making it hardly able to attract investors. Back then, Zhang Yihe was the deputy director of the city's public utility bureau. In his words, there was no time for the government to hesitate, and he had to show resolute determination to tackle the problem. Efforts to address the environmental damage quickly started at a time when nearly the whole country was striving to grow the economy at the cost of everything else, including the environment. But authorities in Xiamen resolved to halt the discharge of untreated sewage, create drainage ditches, and close heavy polluted factories. Protecting the environment did come with a price tag, though. In the late 1980s, the money spent on treating wastewater, removing sediment, and improving infrastructure was astronomical for the city with an annual GDP of 3.6 billion yuan or 500 million U.S. dollars. In the years following 1988, 10 million yuan of fiscal funding went into the treatment of Yundan Lake every year. The allocation was equivalent to one-tenth of the city's total annual infrastructure investment at that time. But nothing could slow down the city's efforts to restore the environment. So far, four stages of ecological restoration have been completed, the fifth phase is currently in progress. 
Nearly two billion yuan have been invested in the process, with more than a hundred polluting factories shut down or relocated. The cost is huge, yet more than worthwhile. With premium urban environment, Xiamen won a string of honors, including the UN Habitat Scroll of Honor Award. A diverse range of investments started flowing in because of the beautiful cityscape. In 2022, the city's GDP grew to 780 billion yuan, about 217 times that of 1988. Xiamen 呢，它本身具有这个得天独厚的这种自然环境。Xiamen is endowed with a unique natural environment with excellent air quality, picturesque coastlines, and rich biodiversity. Sun Yuanchen is a senior executive of Xiamen Green Development. The company, which is dedicated to building low-carbon architectures, has invested 70 billion yuan in building the highest skyscraper in Fujian Province near Yundang Lake. Businesses look at overall environmental conditions like air and water quality, noise levels, and also examine the city's environmental regulations and policies. The abundance of natural resources and the state of ecological conservation are also factors that we consider. These things directly impact our investments and corporate image. The development of Xiamen demonstrates that economic growth doesn't have to come at the expense of the ecological environment. The city is the best example of how China's development philosophy has transformed since the start of the reform and opening up. Retiree Zhang Yihe believes that this shift is crucial for the country's future development. We can't keep following the old approach of letting pollution happen and then trying to fix it. The cost of fixing the mistakes is just too high. Today, China is pursuing its own unique model of modernization, emphasizing the harmonious coexistence between humanity and nature. Many consider the decades-long ecological restoration around Yundang Lake in Xiamen as a pioneering example of this endeavor. That was Guo Yan reporting on ecological protection in Xiamen. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Still to come, Israel says it'll press ahead with an offensive against Hamas in Rafah. Hey guys, this is Gao Junya, host of Climate Watch. Hello guys, I'm your host Tian Lu with the headline news. For the year of the Chinese dragon, I would like to wish you 龙舞九天，好运连连 May you have the power of the mighty and auspicious dragon in achieving your dreams and aspirations. I would like to wish you a journey filled with joy, success, and a soaring spirit of Long Teng Si Hai. May your path be illuminated by the dragon's courage and mighty strength. I wish you an abundance of good fortune and joy in the Chinese New Year. Hey guys, this is Tian Yu with the Beijing Hour. May your year of the Chinese dragon be blessed with health, wealth, and happiness. Cheers to a fantastic year ahead. 祝大家龙年大吉，诸事顺意。Fifteen minutes past the hour. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says his country will press ahead with an offensive against Hamas in Rafah, the last refuge for displaced Palestinians in southern Gaza. He's not indicated when the offensive will take place or where the hundreds of thousands of people now crammed into Rafah might go. 
Those displaced in Rafah are still hoping for a ceasefire agreement. Noor Harazin reports from Rafah. Well, a small percentage of uh, the displaced people in Rafah do actually have the choice, do have the option of uh, going back to Middle Gaza if they were citizens of Middle Gaza, uh, cities like Deir el-Balah, Al-Nusayrat refugee camp, Al-Burij refugee camp. So they do have the option of going uh, there, back to their homes, even though it is not uh, safe there either. But the majority, most of the people, most of the displaced people here in Rafah actually don't have that choice, don't have that option, as most of the people, the displaced people in Rafah are actually from northern Gaza, and the Israeli army has totally isolated northern Gaza from the rest of the Gaza Strip, from middle and southern uh, Gaza, so they actually do not have an option. The only thing that they uh, can do for now is just to stay here in Rafah and wait for something to happen. Actually, when talking to people here on the ground, to displaced people, the first thing that that they mentioned an expected truce, an expected ceasefire. This is the only thing that actually Palestinians here in Gaza are hoping for and waiting for. That was Noor Harazin on the latest situation in southern Gaza. China is calling on joint efforts to ease tensions in the Red Sea. China's United Nations Ambassador Zhang Jun said the recent escalation of the Red Sea tensions, especially the military actions taken by relevant countries against Yemen, has intensified the security risks in the region. The Chinese envoy stressed that the political settlement of the Yemeni issue is closely related to the regional environment. He called on all parties to restore peace and stability in the Middle East. The most urgent task facing all parties is to immediately promote a ceasefire in Gaza and to take effective and responsible actions to prevent further spillover of the conflict in the region. In particular, the relevant countries should heed the strong call of the international community, especially countries and people in the region, stop thwarting the UN Security Council from taking action and join the efforts to promote an early truce in Gaza. Zhang Jun has reiterated China's call on the Houthis to stop its disturbances to the civilian vessels. He said no country should misinterpret or misuse international law and UN Security Council resolutions to create tension in the Red Sea. The Houthis have stepped up missile attacks on Israeli, U.S. and British vessels and Navy ships since mid-November, saying they were in solidarity with the Palestinians in Gaza. The U.S.-British coalition in the Red Sea has responded with strikes against the group. The military escalation in the Red Sea has forced major shipping companies to reroute around the African continent, causing global shipping prices to increase drastically. Air raid sirens blared early on Thursday morning throughout Ukraine. This comes after the Ukrainian military says it destroyed a large Russian landing ship in the Black Sea with naval drones. Russian authorities have yet to confirm the attack. Magumi Lim reports. According to Ukraine's military intelligence agency, the Russian landing ship Caesar Kunikov was sunk in the Black Sea on Wednesday morning after it was struck by naval drones. The agency said it had carried out the operation together with Ukraine's armed forces. The agency released what it says is a video of the nighttime attack which showed a naval drone approaching the ship. According to the UK Defence Ministry, this is the fourth landing ship from Russia's Black Sea Fleet to be sunk since the conflict began. 
The Kremlin declined to comment on the attack, but Russia's defense ministry said it had shot down nine Ukrainian-launched drones overnight, including six over the Black Sea. The attack on the Russian ship came ahead of a meeting of Ukraine's defense contact group in Brussels. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin led the meeting via video link, his first public appearance since he was hospitalized over the weekend. In his opening remarks, he said allies will not back down in its support of Kyiv, even as a funding bill for Ukraine remains stuck in Washington. That was Mogumi Lim with the latest developments in the Russia-Ukraine conflict. South Korea has established diplomatic relations with Cuba by exchanging official letters in New York. Cuba recognized the Republic of Korea, the official name of South Korea, in 1949. But formal exchanges have been cut off since Cuba's revolution in 1959. Jack Barton has more. It's very significant for South Korea under President Yoon. Uh, He's been trying to make South Korea more of a global player, or at least to launch it more onto the international stage, uh, saying that is befitting the size of its economy these days. And for Yoon and the previous administration of Moon Jae-in, because that's when the foreign minister first visited Cuba in 2016, uh, getting Cuba on board in terms of diplomatic relations has been seen as important. And according to the Yoon administration, it's important in building uh, closer ties with the Caribbean, with Latin America, and with China. Uh, It's seen as having a a positive effect there as well. We don't know uh, what the trade details will be or how it will boost trade. Uh, We know they will be having further consultations to work towards building uh, permanent diplomatic missions in each country, because at the moment it's just the, uh, the initial agreement, but there's no ambassadorial presence in either country. But they're now going to work, work towards that. We know before the pandemic about 14,000 South Koreans were visiting Cuba every year. So uh, Seoul's saying they hope that diplomatic presence can see not only a boost in those numbers, but providing consular services for them while they're there. But it now makes, uh, you know, it's the only country other than Syria now in the United Nations uh, which uh, doesn't have diplomatic relations with the uh, South Korea. So it's, you know, one step forward in that agenda. And obviously, you know, this is a, a sensitive country. Cuba has long maintained very close relations with the DPRK. And it's why we're told the consultations went on with a degree of secrecy, as apparently Seoul didn't want them uh, sabotaged. So it's a bit of a surprise to many uh, that this has been announced without any preamble, but we're told that's the reason why, because there was a lot of secrecy around uh, these talks as they move forward with positive momentum. That was Jack Barton reporting. In Indonesia, preliminary results show a landslide victory for Defense Minister Prabowo Subianto in the presidential elections. Prabowo ran in the 2014 and 2019 elections, losing both to President Joko Widodo. This year, he ran for president with Joko's son as his running mate, promising to continue Joko's legacy and focus on creating a better future for the younger generation. Sokina Alwalia reports. Third time's a charm for Prabowo Subianto. Indonesia's defense minister emerged as the frontrunner in this year's presidential elections. Prabowo is leading with a significant majority in the early results, a moment that could redefine Indonesia's political path. 
The former Army General has vowed to continue President Joko Widodo's legacy. This includes moving the capital city, developing infrastructure, and expanding employment opportunities. Indonesia's youth played a key role in this election. Half of the nation's 200 million voters were under 40 years old. And many experts say that is the reason why Prabowo secured this win. He embraced a modern campaign strategy, rebranding himself as somewhat of a grandfather figure to the younger generation. In addition to that, his running mate is President Widodo's son, Gibran Rakabuming Raka. Jokowi, as he is commonly known, is wildly popular. He's called the people's president, having come from humble beginnings. Gibran yeah. is uh, one of the things that makes me want to for Prabowo. Maybe if Prabowo choose another person, maybe I'm, I'm still hesitate, but Gibran is one of the best things that Prabowo brings to this election for me. The world is watching as Indonesia's economic and geopolitical landscape is shifting. This marks a new chapter for Indonesia, and Prabowo is confident that his presidency will lead the country to greater heights. That was Selkina Alwalia in Jakarta. Coming up, the Super Bowl parade shootings have killed a person and injured over 20, including eight children. Hey, this is Ding Han from World Today. Hello, this is Guo Yan from the Beijing Hour. For the year of the Chinese dragon in 2024, wishing you success in everything you do in the year of the dragon. Hello, I'm Jane with Takeaway Chinese. May the year of the Chinese dragon bring you boundless opportunities and amazing achievements in your career. I would like to wish you 蛟龍得水, May this auspicious year bring you abundant opportunities to realize your dreams and showcase your talents. Happy Chinese New Year! It's 26 minutes past the hour. At least eight children are among the over 20 people injured in a shooting at the end of Wednesday's parade to celebrate the Kansas City Chiefs' Super Bowl victory. Kansas City Police Chief Stacy Graves confirmed that one person was killed and three people are in custody. We do have three persons detained and under investigation for today's incident. We are working to determine if one of the three are, are the one that was in that video. Uh, where, where fans assisted police. Neither the details about the three nor about a possible motive for the shootings is available. It's the latest sports celebration marred by gun violence in the U.S. following shootings after the Denver Nuggets winning the NBA championship and the Texas Rangers World Series championship parade last year. Kansas City has long struggled with gun violence. In 2023, it matched a record with 182 homicides, most of which involved guns. Mayor Quentin Lucas has joined with mayors across the country in calling for new laws to reduce gun violence. Uh, today was tragic for everyone who was part of it. I had the chance to talk to my wife just a moment ago, who said we became part of a statistic of too many Americans, those who have experienced or been part of or connected to a mass shooting. That is something that I hope we all recognize is highly problematic for all of us. 
President Joe Biden has been briefed on the shooting, while White House officials have been in touch with state and local leaders following the shooting. Now it's 28 past the hour. Let's check the weather. Beijing is down to minus two on Thursday evening. Friday will be sunny with a high of nine. Nanchang is six tonight. Tomorrow cloudy with a high of 12. Elsewhere in Asia, Islamabad is 10 this evening. Friday will be sunny with a high of 23. Vientiane is 18 overnight. Tomorrow will be sunny with a high of 33. Pen is 24 overnight. Tomorrow sunny and 35. In Africa, Nairobi will see sunny sky with a high of 28 on Friday. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. In the second half, we will look at how a Chinese worker has helped with the restoration of Takio Temple in Cambodia. Making news today, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi will attend the 60th Munich Security Conference. On behalf of the staff, this is Dou Hongyu in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. German railway company Deutsche Bahn. Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. From north to south, east to west, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. Hidden behind lush tropical forests, hundreds of majestic stone temples dating back as early as the 9th century are scattered in an area of more than 400 square kilometers in northwest Cambodia. In the morning quietness, spies of the surviving temples cast elegant silhouettes against the blue sky, their darkened stone carvings speaking of their past glory. Angkor, Cambodia's architectural marvel and spiritual heart of the Khmer civilization, has always been a mesmerizing experience for the world's visitors with its spirituality culture, architectural, and artistic accomplishments of the ancient times. For several centuries, Angkor was the center of the Khmer Empire, serving as its seat from the 9th to the 15th century. Through centuries of damage by man and nature, 
many of the site's most iconic legacies have been reduced to ruins. Officially called the Angkor Archaeological Park, the sprawling complex houses scores of internationally renowned temples such as the Angkor Wat, Chao Sai Tevoda and Ta Kyo, offering cultural experts and visitors from around the world a precious window into Cambodia's past. Since the 1990s, architects, engineers and archaeologists from around the world have been trying to restore these symbols of the ancient civilization. Among them is 45-year-old Jin Jiaoyu from China, a gifted scholar whose fervor for cultural preservation has brought him to the awe-inspiring landscapes of Cambodia on a quest to breathe life into the forgotten echoes of a distant kingdom. People call us doctors of the cultural relics. This analogy is very appropriate. Whenever we restore a cultural relic, we do our work like a doctor does his or hers. We have to carefully analyze the symptoms and determine the causes of the disease. Then we come up with our course of treatment. With each brushstroke, each delicate touch, he carefully resurrects the past, piecing together the fragmented stories etched into the weathered stones. Years of hard and smart work by Jin and his colleagues have revived the former glory of the Angkor Monument. And during this process, he himself has been stunned by the ancient Cambodian civilization and also developed a profound friendship with Cambodians he has met and worked with. When I left Takyo in 2018, I had many thoughts and emotions. I had developed a deep affinity with the temple and the local people during my six years working there. So I was reluctant to leave when the moment came. But how exactly has this Doctor of the Cultural Relics worked to restore the iconic ancient temple? And what has really driven him to travel thousands of miles geographically and hundreds of years in time to pursue and revive the glamour of the ancient Khmer Empire? You've been listening to programmes from CGTN Radio. CGTN Radio. We invite you to visit us online for more audio, pictures and in-depth reports. At radio.cgtn.com, you can access a wide range of programs and find your favorite news, talk, features, entertainment shows and podcasts. Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. You're listening to Footprints. Welcome back. As a cultural relics expert from the China Academy of Cultural Heritage, Jin Yu stood on the steps of the Ta Kyo Temple on a hot day in 2013. He instantly felt the wisdom and ingenuity of the ancient Cambodians. Ta Kyo looks like a temple mountain. It was built on a five-story foundation with one layer higher than the other. It rises from the ground for 43 meters. It's a marvelous achievement for the ancient Cambodians to build such a complex and grand building. I was captivated by its beauty and grandeur and felt honored to get involved in its restoration. The Temple of Takyo, which means the Tower of Crystal, is located in the central zone of the Angkor Archaeological Park. Dating back to the late 10th century, 
Takyo was built as the state temple of the Khmer Empire, which was a powerful state in Southeast Asia, lasting from the 9th to the 15th century. The Khmer Empire covered much of what today is Cambodia, Thailand, Laos and southern Vietnam. Being dedicated to Hinduism, the pyramid-shaped Takyo temple was intended to represent Mount Meru, the mountain that is deemed the center of the world in Hindu mythology. The temple occupies 46,000 square meters, which is larger than two football pitches. It is considered one of the most magnificent temples in Angkor and a popular tourist attraction. But centuries after its erection, much of the temple was ruined due to the weather, wars and other kinds of natural and artificial disasters. When Jin Zhao Yu first set foot on this damaged monument, he was 35 years old, young, energetic and curious, ready to join an arduous restoration project undertaken by the China Academy of Cultural Heritage. He was charged with managing and coordinating the whole restoration project. Jin and his fellow Chinese colleagues lived in a compound in the city of Siem Reap, about 20 kilometers from the Angkor Archaeological Park. Every day, they'd shuttle between where they resided and Angkor. Although the distance was not far, the weather was hot and the work was meticulous and proved to be tiring and was oftentimes interrupted by a sudden rainstorm. The hottest days were in April. In the rainy season, a downpour could occur any time. Such high temperatures and high humidity posed a challenge to our outdoor restoration work, and we had to adjust our work schedule accordingly. Keeping a detailed day-to-day -day record about the temple and the restoration project was meticulous, but crucial to the restoration work. From the perspective of cultural relics preservation and restoration, all the processes and procedures must be recorded. We give a unique number to each and every piece of stone or structure removed from the Takyo temple. Then we make a catalog. We also needed to keep a thorough record of all those damaged stones or stone pieces. Furthermore, we needed to jot down whatever procedures we would take to restore or renovate the damaged parts. He admits that often repetitive and tiring work required him to be particularly patient. There must be no mistakes in my records. As for the damaged stones we removed from the temple, they all had to be put back to the original places in the later stages of restoration. So reliable, thorough records would ensure we would not misplace them. Jin Zhao Yu explains that sandstone is the main building material for the Takyo Temple and other buildings in Angkor. The physical characteristics of sandstone mean that each piece is different, unlike standard bricks, and this posed one of the biggest challenges for restorers as they had to sift through thousands of fallen stones and put them back. If the fallen stones had been carved, then the carvings helped us put them back in their rightful places. But many stones of the Takyo temple were uncarved, and this posed a great challenge for us. 
The Takio Temple was actually an unfinished project. Originally, the undecorated temple was supposed to be one of the finest of Angkor's structures. Lightning struck it after its main structures were erected. Seeing this as a bad omen, the ancient Khmer rulers stopped decorating it, thus leaving many of the stones uncarved. Jin and his colleagues spent much time in making drawings or building three-dimensional models of the fallen stones in order to match them with each other. During this time-consuming process of restoration, Jin was amazed by the masonry work done by the ancient Cambodian builders. Ancient builders cut the raw sandstone into the pieces they wanted after the raw materials were transported from the quarry to the building site. The finished pieces, after being polished, were irregular inside. Although the stones they used were irregular, they were skillfully laid to form the temple. The building techniques were marvelous. Even now, after hundreds of years, we can't insert a thin sheet of paper into the gap between two stones in the well-preserved parts of the temple. Jin adds that Chinese restorers follow a principle called minimal interference when restoring the damaged parts of the temple. They avoid breaking apart or the dissembling of an ancient structure and keep the addition of new stones to a minimum. This principle has been a consensus among Chinese cultural relics experts, and it is in line with the ICC Angkor Charter, a detailed list of principles and rules guiding the international restoration work at Angkor. The ICC Angkor is an international coordinating mechanism for the assistance provided by different countries and organizations for the safeguarding and development of the historical site of Angkor. In addition to the Chinese team, other restoration groups have included those from France, Japan and the United States. The Angkor relics were inscribed onto the World Heritage List in 1992. One year later, the UN Cultural Agency UNESCO initiated a long-term and ambitious international program for the safeguarding of the Angkor historical site. Then, in 1995, the Cambodian government established the Apsara, which has been in charge of protecting the site and developing the Angkor region. At the invitation of Cambodia, China is among the first batch of countries to join the International Restoration and Protection Program for Angkor. With its long history and rich cultural heritage, China boasts rich experience in preserving and restoring various kinds of historical relics. Prior to the Takyo Temple project in 2008, Chinese restorers had already completed a 10-year-long restoration of the Chao Sai Tevoda Temple, which is smaller than Takyo. Soon afterwards, as China gained more experience in the restoration and preservation of the Angkor relics, Chinese restorers were invited to take charge of the restoration project of the larger and more complex Takyo Temple. At different stages, archaeologists, architects, engineers and other kinds of experts from China rotated to work on the ground for the restoration of Takyo. In total, around 60 Chinese experts and engineers have been involved in the project. Yet disagreements occur sometimes as to what kind of approach is best for restoring the Angkor relics. 
Jinjiao Yu recalls that cultural relics experts from China and other countries had a heated discussion in 2017 on how to solidify one corner of the temple, a decorative structure in the shape of a column carved with auspicious flowers. The pediment leans forward as required by religious and aesthetic needs. With the passage of time, such a linear structure is very prone to collapse. It's a challenge for restorers to come up with a plan to both solidify it and avoid secondary damage. Previously, restoration teams from other countries drilled holes into the structure and then used steel bars and glue to connect the different layers of stones. But Chinese restorers doubted this was a good method. We contended that drilling steel bars into the pediment may crumble the stones. Even if the stones don't crumble, the steel bar inserted into the stone structure will pose irreversible damage itself. Jin Zhao Yu and his fellow Chinese restorers proposed a different way using steel wires to pull the leaning structure to its foundation. And wherever the wires need to touch the stones, they use rubber or wood as a buffer so that the steel would not corrode the stones with the passage of time. But this kind of proposal caused a debate among the ICC Angkor experts, who had the authority to approve or reject it. Some of them contended that using steel wires to encircle the structure from the exterior would make it less aesthetically pleasing. To persuade those experts, the Chinese patiently explained the advantage of their proposal. We told them that drilling steel bars posed immediate damage to the structure. Furthermore, the use of glue made of epoxy resin was also questionable. As time passed, this material may not be deemed to be a good one. So our proposal, based on the principle of minimum interference, tried to avoid using this new material and just preserve the stone structure as it was. And we believed that future restorers may come up with a better restoration solution. At present, we restorers just needed to preserve it and leave it to future generations to solve. The Chinese rejection of epoxy resin glue is based on their experience of using it in the restoration of many ancient buildings within China. There have been many cases of failure as this kind of glue loses its effect gradually under hot and wet weather conditions. When it comes to the use of new materials, we have to adopt an experimental view and monitor its effectiveness. In the 1920s and 1930s, French cultural relics experts used cement to solidify the Angkor relics. Cement was thought a new and good material at the time. But now, 100 years later, we don't use cement in the restoration of ancient buildings. So what we think is a good material nowadays may be deemed bad in later years. In our restoration projects, whenever necessary, we try to adopt reversible means, leaving room for the emergence of better restoration methods in the future. Eventually, the Chinese proposal won the approval of the ICC Angkor. And the whole restoration project for the Takyo Temple ended successfully in 2018.
Hang Piu, General Director of the Apsara National Authority, the Cambodian government agency managing the Angkor relics, speaks highly of the work done by Chinese restorers. Chinese use almost the manual way. If something wrong, we can redo it. So the technique, we can say it reversible. And the work it has been done is very, very good job. Working on such an international assistance mission, Jin Zhao Yu says he and his colleagues have taken on an additional responsibility to cultivate local Cambodian cultural relics restoration talents. We need to train local technicians and workers who can restore and renovate cultural relics themselves. Through our assistance, we hope one day they can do the job by themselves. To achieve this task, the Takyo project has employed dozens of local workers. Jin Zhao Yu and his colleagues spoke English and simple Cambodian while communicating with them. Together with gestures, Jin says they could instruct and interact with the workers smoothly. As the Takyo restoration project lasted for several years, good and close relations have been developed among them. We worked with the local workers day after day. We have become good friends, and they invited us to visit their families when they had celebrations, such as weddings and the births of babies. Through these visits, Jin has gained a deeper understanding about the life of the Cambodians and their culture. Jin notes that the local Cambodians have a profound love for the Angkor relics, treating them as their national pride. They adore the temples and have a profound wish to preserve their heritage. When we did the restoration work, I found that the local workers sometimes walked around the temple and gently touched the stones to show their respect and love toward their heritage. Indeed, the Angkor relics are not only bringing pride to the local Cambodians, they are also creating income for the descendants of the ancient Khmer Empire. By working for the Takyo Restoration Project, some locals have made a better living. According to Jin Zhao Yu, several of the workers employed by the project bought motorbikes, a luxury for the locals, with the money they earned. This worker, who only gives his name as Muller, is grateful for the project. <laughs> The Chinese-funded restoration project has helped me a lot. I have made a good earning by working for it. Besides a good income, the workers have gained crucial techniques and have been sought after and employed by other restoration teams. As the restoration work progresses, the Angkor relics gradually regain their former splendor, drawing an increasing number of tourists from around the world, especially China. In 2013, when I first came to Cambodia, the largest groups of international tourists visiting Angkor were from Vietnam and South Korea. But gradually, the number of tourists from China overtook them. This has much to do with our restoration project. Many Chinese were aware we were doing relics restoration here, and this played a role in setting up their travel plan. When they did come to Cambodia and see Chinese experts restoring Cambodian temples in Angkor, 
Chinese tourists were very excited. Yes, for tourists, the Angkor relics mean excitement and an experience of an exotic culture. For the Cambodians living around it, they mean heritage and butter and bread. Kun Savit, a local villager, earns a living by selling fruit and bottled water to tourists visiting the Angkor temples. This small business is very important for me. Although what I earn is little, it can support my family and alleviate the financial burden of my husband. I hope more tourists will be able to come here and bring better income to us. According to a plan released by the Cambodian Ministry of Tourism, Siem Reap province, where the Angkor relics are situated, is expected to welcome 7.5 million international tourists annually in the next two years. The booming tourism sector is forecast to generate 940,000 jobs for local Cambodians and bring in 6 billion US dollars. Jin Jiao Yu's wife, Xie Ting, has been one of those international tourists visiting Angkor. The Angkor temples filled me with a feeling of majesty and grandeur. What has impressed me most are the enigmatic stone sculptures of smiling faces. She was not only fascinated by the wonders of the Khmer relics during her visit there in 2017, but more importantly, got a deeper sense of the meaning of her husband's work, during which they had to endure long-time separation and the hardship it brought. My wife has given me a lot of support. Of course, in the beginning she complained that she had to take care of our baby on her own. But after she visited the Angkor relics herself, she got a better understanding of the meaning of my work. I saw him working hard outdoors in the hot tropical weather during my visit to Cambodia. He had to climb up and down the tall temple of Takio again and again in his restoration work. I was deeply touched by this scene. I could see his devotion and love for his work. As his wife, I am willing to give him my full support. To thank their great work on the restoration of the Takio temple, the Cambodian government bestowed upon Jin a high honor. On December the 16th, 2022, Cambodian Deputy Prime Minister Men Sam An presented the Knight Class Medal to the Chinese Restorer. At the award ceremony, Cambodian officials highly praised the contribution of the Chinese experts to the restoration of the Angkor relics, saying they were very professional, effective and outstanding. As a sign of its profound trust in China and Chinese restorers, the Cambodian government commissioned the Chinese to restore the Royal Palace of Angkor Thom in 2018, when the Takio project ended. The new restoration project is much more massive and complex than the restoration of Takio. It started in 2019 and will last for more than a decade. As humble as ever, Jin Zhao Yu accepts the Knight Class Medal and the Cambodians trust in him and his colleagues as both a confirmation of their hard work and encouragement for them to work even harder in the realm of cultural relics restoration around the world. After the Takio project ended, Jin still maintains contact with friends he had made in Cambodia. From these friends, Jin Zhao Yu often receives new photos of the Angkor relics. 
reminding him of the splendor of the ancient Khmer Empire and the good old days he has spent in Cambodia as a restorer. Now, still in his prime, Jin frequently travels around the world, visiting and working at various cultural and historical sites. As ever, he devotes himself to his beloved work of preserving and restoring the legacies of human civilizations, whether they are from Asia, Europe, Africa or the Americas. With that, we conclude this episode of Footprints. Thanks for listening. I'm Bob Jones. If you're interested in hearing more about the lives of ordinary but incredible people in China, follow us on Apple Podcasts. Just key in Footprints and you can find more stories anytime, anywhere. We'll see you next time. Bye for now. The Beijing Hour. Roundtable. Headline News. World Today. Footprints. Deep Dive. Takeaway Chinese. The Chat Lounge. Sideline Story. Climate Watch. I would like to wish you Happy Chinese New Year. Happy Chinese New Year. Happy Chinese New Year. Hey there, I'm your host Wang Zihang. Dou Hongyu. This is Tianyu. This is Zhou Fang with the Beijing Hour. For the year of the Chinese dragon. 祝大家龙年大吉, May you soar to new heights and achieve great success in your career. I wish you the grace of startled swan and the wandering dragon in 2024. Hello guys, I'm your host Tian Lu with the headline news. May your path be illuminated by the dragon's courage and mighty strength. What's up everybody? It's Yu Xuan from Roundtable. Hi guys, this is Li Yi. Xing Yu with Roundtable for the year of the Chinese dragon. I wish you a new year filled with strength, good health, prosperity, vitality, joy, success, and exciting adventures. Be great and unstoppable as a dragon soaring through the oceans. This is Niu Honglian from Roundtable and Takeaway Chinese. I wish you a vibrant and energetic start to this great year of the long happy year of the dragon. Hey, this is Ding Han. This is Zhao Ying. This is Xu Yawe with World Today. today. Wishing you success in everything you do in the year of the dragon. May you have good fortune, wisdom, strength, endless moments of bliss, great success, and a bright future. Hello guys, this is Brandon Yates. This is Yang Guan with the Sideline Story as we usher in the year of the Chinese dragon. I would like to wish you a happy, healthy, and prosperous year ahead. Hey there, it's Yu Shen from Footprints. May your days be adorned with joy, prosperity, and good spirits. Hello, I'm Jane with Takeaway Chinese. May this auspicious year bring you abundant opportunities. Hi, this is Zhu Yun. May you find the hidden dragon in yourself in the year of the Chinese dragon. Be there with me at the chat lounge. Hey guys, this is Gao Junya, host of Climate Watch. This is Li Yunqi with the podcast Deep Dive. I wish the year of the Chinese dragon brings you strength, courage, and fiery passion. An abundance of good fortune and joy in the Chinese New Year. In 2024. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day.
tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West and understanding is the goal. From north to south, east to west, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 